Hi, welcome back to Eight Words or Less. This is the podcast series that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, eight words or less. Some of you know me already. I'm Sammy, and I'm one of your hosts, along with James. So this week, we're looking at The Black Swan, written by Nassim Taleb. Uh, Nassim Taleb has been a professor at several universities. He's been a hedge fund manager, a derivatives trader, obviously an author, and he's currently listed as a scientific advisor. His 2007 book, The Black Swan, was actually described by the Sunday Times as one of the 12 most influential books since World War II, would you believe it? So our regular listeners would know that this isn't the first time on the podcast series that we have spoken about Black Swan events. In brief, they are unpredictable, not because they're random, but because our outlook on what's possible is too narrow. Uh, The name stems from the fact that up until 1697, the whole of humanity believed that all swans were white. But when Dutch explorers finally saw black swans for the first time in Western Australia, the term morphed into describing an event that occurred in spite of it seeming impossible. The book states that a black swan event depends on the observer. For example, what might be a black swan surprise for a turkey is not a black swan surprise for its butcher. A central idea in Taleb's book is not to attempt to predict black swan events, but to build robustness to negative events or to build a black swan robust society and an ability to exploit positive events. Taleb has studied how we fool ourselves into thinking we know more than we actually do. Uh, It's safe to say that he is critical of economists and financial models. He says that they leave us vulnerable to hazardous black swan events because we restrict our thinking to the irrelevant and inconsequential, while large events like COVID-19 continue to surprise us and shape our world. So, James, what is your central message in Eight Words or Less? Well, uh, Sammy, thanks. You you actually almost hinted at it, because this was, I came as a slightly bizarre central message, and you might think it's a little bit crazy, but my central message in Eight Words or Less is don't become the turkey. It may be a little bit strange, but you you reference this, and it's come from one of the stories in a book where Taleb asks you to consider a turkey that is fed every day for a thousand days. And and this turkey must think, wow, these humans are really nice. You know, all the experience that that turkey has would help to confirm to it that the main purpose of humans in this world is to feed that turkey and take care of its every uh, comfort and and consideration. And of course, on on day 1001, perhaps the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, that turkey is going to have quite a nasty surprise. And as you say, for it, that's a black swan event. But also, as you said, Sammy, it's not a black swan event from the perspective of the butcher or the farmer. This is a regular occurrence. And so in many ways, Taleb says the key question is how, with the information that he is providing in his book, can we make sure that we don't become the turkey? Well, the litmus test of a central message is can I remember it and can I understand it? So, yeah, go for it. What's your first petal? So my first battle is around the concept of inherent bias. So Taleb talks about a number of these and argues that many of them are what makes humans so susceptible to black swan events and in many, and in many ways makes us like the turkey in that story. So the first that Taleb refers to talks about what he calls the error of confirmation. 
And it's almost central to that story you were talking about around the origin of Black Swan, because the key here is that a series of collaborative facts is not necessarily evidence. Seeing a million white swans does not confirm the non-existence of black swans. Mm. But all of our instincts as, as, as humans would suggest it does. And we try and use these past instances to corroborate our theories and then treat them as evidence. I liked, Sammy, one example that Talib used uh, where you've got to be careful and relying on past uh, experience and evidence is a quote from a ship's captain, which goes, in all my experience, I've never been in any accident worth speaking of. I never saw a wreck and have never been wrecked, nor was I ever in a, any predicament that threatened to end in disaster of any sort. You could probably guess, Sammy, but who do you think that quote was from? Actually, I have no idea. <laughs> well, it was the captain of the Titanic in 1907, just before it sailed. So I think it was quite a, a fun uh, sort of illustration of how just because the captain had never been in a wreck before doesn't mean he was never going to be in one. But the relevance for today is that, and this came out in Black Box Thinking, our first episode, um, we learn more from negative instances rather than from verification. And this comes to that concept of falsification, which essentially you should formulate your conjecture, your theory, your plan, but then start actively looking for the observation that would prove you wrong. And Talib says this is what George Soros does, that speculator. Apparently, before he makes a, a financial bet, he spends a lot of time looking for instances that would prove his theory wrong first. And then he uses mm -hmm. that process of thought to, to come at a decision he thinks is right. Yeah, that really resonates. When we work with senior leadership teams, before we launch something, we do what's called a pre-mortem. And we think of all the things that could kill the change event or could make it unsuccessful. And then it just focuses the attention around the important stuff. Yeah, exactly. And better to do a pre-mortem than a post-mortem, right? Um, so uh, I think that's a really good example. And actually, the next bias he talks about, I think, would be very interesting. What he calls the narrative fallacy. And he spends a lot of time talking about the importance of narrative as almost an evolutionary imperative in the way that humans think. Because we, we store information through stories, we can condense that information and retain it far more easily than we can with random information. And that's why, you know, I think as you talk, that's why narrative is so important for anyone who wants to give a powerful and land a, a key message and give a powerful presentation. Yeah, and I think it speaks to a deeper issue in business, which is in leadership, I think there's still a perception being held that it's about being successful. And as you know, I'm a storytelling coach. And when we work with leaders, we try to explain the, the power of being vulnerable because it's often in the bad news stories, or as you know, I talk about failing spectacularly, that there are nuances, there's complexity that other people can connect with and it allows them to be more open and honest as well which is where the true attention should lie yes exactly sammy and uh, the other point that the talib makes around this is is particularly true when we look backwards but one thing i did notice in business was we would often go into leadership or exco team meetings and i'd hear the words if we ignore egypt then the data shows we're tracking well for x 
And I always wondered to my, well, why would we ignore Egypt? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, if we don't look at France, then what the trend is showing? But France has some really important information. So I understand about outliers when we're looking at employee engagement stuff. As you get more senior, the debt goes from 50 pages to 20 pages to 10 pages. The narrative, it's a good news story. Well, actually, uh, that speaks perfectly to, to the third bias, which uh, Taleb calls the problem of silent evidence. And this is going away from business into a bit more sort of historical context. But he uses an example from the Roman senator Cicero, who was shown a painted tablet bearing the portraits of worshippers who had prayed uh, to a god and survived a shipwreck. The implication being it was praying that protected you from drowning. And apparently Cicero asked, so where are the pictures of those people who prayed and then drowned? And uh, I think the point here is that obviously those people who drowned can't talk about it. And the focus goes on to those people who survived convincing people to believe in miracles. And Taleb says this is everywhere, exactly as you say, information that is excluded from decks as they, they get whittled down to senior management. But also all the mm-hmm. business books you see around us, they're written by successful business people. And Taleb says, if you want the full picture, you need to, he, he uses the phrase, look at the cemetery, look at those who did not succeed and what lessons can be learned from them. These are the three instances, the narrative fallacy, the silent evidence, and the confirmation bias uh, that he says make us susceptible. And I'm trying to bring this back. But if you think about it, you know, the turkey would look at every piece of evidence and that would confirm its belief that humans are kind. It would build this narrative in its head that humans are there to support it, to comfort it. And it would fail to look at the silent evidence of all those turkeys who mysteriously disappeared and didn't come back. So I think, you know, we need to think about those biases and how they affect our decisions so that we don't become the turkey. So my second petal is uh, what Taleb refers to as the scandal of prediction. And I want to actually start with an example that's not in the book, but I think it illustrates his point. And this is around a book that was written by an author called Norman Angle. It was called The Great Illusion. It was a bestseller at the time. And the central thesis of that book was how the world could never again be at war because the consequences of starting war would be so disastrous. But the interesting thing was when this book was published. And again, I'm putting it on a spot, Sammy, but can you guess when when this book, this The Great Illusion, was a bestseller? Don't tell me it was a couple of years before a great war. Exactly. It was in 1913, 1914. And it's just a good example of what Talib talks about here, that in 1914, people had no idea what was coming along. And if you'd looked at the predictions that were occurring then, they would have had no relevance to what actually was just coming uh, coming along. And he calls this the scandal of prediction. We have this tendency to think we know more than we actually do, and that this gets us into serious trouble especially because experts are even more susceptible to this problem. And I think even worse, he says that there is a negative effect on prediction accuracy from those people who have a big reputation. Is that something that you've come across? Actually, the first year of my philosophy degree was spent looking at inductive logic or inductive reasoning, I think it's called. So in philosophy, it suggests that one of the biggest erroneous behaviours is our tendency to predict what will happen in the future by using our past as an explanation. An example of inductive logic is the coin I pull from the bag is a penny. That coin is a penny. The third coin 
from the bag is a penny, therefore all the coins in the bag are pennies. And it just suggests that it's a flawed way of thinking. When you're looking at predicting the future, be aware every time it's inductive. Just because it happened before, just because Sammy was late to work X times does not mean Sammy will be late tomorrow. And we kind of apply that flawed thinking into so many parts of our life. The thing I think is so relevant here is the problem is worse with spreadsheets because we have this ability now to take maybe, to your point, past behavior, and we have a column in a spreadsheet, and with a click of a button, we can draw out a year's plan, a year's worth of assumptions uh, just by putting spreadsheets across. And Talib argues that this has therefore become a bigger function of leaders and of businesses that are putting more and more reliance onto these plans. But actually, what's more important is to realize that, A, those plans cannot take into account any black swan events due to the nature of them, and that it's more important to look at the level of variation that might occur within them and the consequences of those different decisions. He talks about don't try and wade across a river just because it's four foot deep on average. It might be two foot deep on average for 90% of the way, but 100 feet deep for that last mm. 10%, right? And so you've got to make sure you don't put too much reliance on prediction and you are more focused on uh, understanding what variation is within those predictions and what the consequences are of those different outcomes. So Turkey yeah. shouldn't be predicting when uh, uh, Thanksgiving is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I can understand why leaders would do it. I think the key message here is that it's flawed thinking. So it's philosophically, it's not sound. And just to recognize when we're doing it, that we uh, it's perhaps flawed thinking and there's other stuff to take into consideration. Yeah, that's an important point. I don't think he's saying, and certainly I, I'm not saying, that we shouldn't plan. We need to. There is a real purpose to doing so, and that comes up in the book. Um, but it's it's putting too much reliance on plans or predictions of the future uh, and yeah. understanding that those consequences can be different. And that's how you can make sure that you don't become the turkey. My third and final petal is called uh, positive serendipity, which has always been one of my favorite words, actually. Um, so uh, I think this is a lovely idea. And Talib kicks it off in a way, talking about the story of Apelles, the painter, who uh, famously was doing this portrait of a horse. And he was attempting to depict the foam from the horse's mouth. And after trying very hard and making a mess of it, he gave up an irritation. And he took the sponge he used for cleaning his brush and he threw it at the picture. And when the sponge hit, it left this perfect representation of the foam. And obviously, that was a complete accident, but it was a positive black swan in the terms of that painting. And I think this idea of positive serendipity is really powerful. He also talks about Alexander Fleming, who was just cleaning his laboratory after a long holiday. And what he found when he found some mold, you know, that had contaminated one of his experiments, and discovered purely by chance the antibacterial properties of penicillin. And there's lots of examples of this. I don't know if you, you've come across some as well, but I think you, we see them in our personal life a lot and in our business life. Yeah, positive serendipity. Well, if listeners want to watch Darren Brown, uh, he has a short, I think, 30-minute episode called The Secret of Luck. And the protagonist, Wayne, in that episode, um, it, it will just go to show about positive serendipity. And I've always lived my life by what happens to us happens for us. I remember being told by, it was Arianna Huffington, actually, live your life 
as though everything that happens is rigged in your favor. And since hearing that a few years ago, I, I try and implement it so I grasp onto opportunities which I might otherwise have walked away from. So very quick story. A few years ago, I was living in Singapore and the client had asked me to change hotels. So I was staying on the Orchard Road, which was unlike where I normally stayed. Uh, this particular evening, I decided to go out for some drinks, which was not my normal pattern. And when I came back, shout out to the Manhattan Bar in Singapore, one of the best places I've been. I decided to have a nightcap at the Manhattan Bar. So I went towards the bar. A gentleman turned around to me and he said, oh, I've been waiting for you. Now, normally, of course, I would run out screaming, but for some reason, I stayed and we had a conversation and this gentleman said to me, uh, I, I need to give you a message. I think you need to go to the BioCybernaut Institute. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, it's about brainwaves and neurofeedback. And like a puppet, I just found myself going, yeah. I will. I had no idea what it was. Anyway, two years later, I head on an aeroplane to the south of Germany. I got to this BioCybernaut Institute in Bavaria, and we started to explore different brainwave states. And it was the most powerful, transformative experience. So there was a reason why I grasped onto that opportunity, but it's changed so much of my life. And brainwave and neuroscience stuff I do now with leaders is all informed by that chance meeting at a bar. I think, and this, yeah, I mean, a really interesting story because I think what Talib is saying is that these opportunities in, in life and, and, and careers and business, they don't come around that often. And the important thing is to recognize them, recognize the impact that they can have and to take advantage of them. Uh, and, you know, similar uh, case for, point for me is, is actually when I met my wife. I, we were going down and I met her at drinks uh, outside after work one day. Obviously, I may be uh, falling into the narrative fallacy here, but I, I remember being instantly smitten by her and I knew this was a chance oh. not to be passed up. Uh, but being me, I, I don't think I made the best first impression. I was meant to be leaving <laughs> to get on a flight and I still hadn't got a number and I still hadn't got uh, le left her with, I think, a positive enough impression. So I ended up having to miss my flight, jump on a train going in completely the wrong direction just to spend an extra 30 minutes to get her number and, uh, and be able to leave with the promise of a second date. So I think, you know, it's maybe a silly example. But yeah, these serendipitous events are what Talib refers to as positive black swans. And that we need to, in essence, minimize our exposure to negative black swans. And to stretch the metaphor a bit, try and become a reverse turkey. So maximize our opportunity and exposure to these positive black swan events and capitalize on them when they appear. Sammy, that is why. And this is uh, the lips test. I think you've nailed it. And that is why central message don't become the turkey spot on i think it was an easy one wow. to remember. yeah understand and remember don't become the turkey thank you james what a brilliant uh, central message and something i'm going to take those petals that central message into my life so thank you james thank you of course to all of our listeners and our list of book recommendations from people following eight words or less is growing uh, so we are on all the social media platforms Please share your thoughts, recommendations using that hashtag eight words or less. And if you want to hear more, make sure you search for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download yours. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you. And uh, much looking forward to hearing your central message next week. Uh, which book will we be reviewing? We will be looking at Dr. Robert Caldini's book called The Psychology of Persuasion. So see you next week. Bye for now. <laughs>